The back-to-school blessing is, a, is an opportunity. It's a moment for all of us to, to recalibrate and kind of hit the reset button a little bit in one way, shape, form, or another. And so whether you're going back to school or have already started back to school recently, this is a huge opportunity for all of us as a church family. As Tiffany alluded to, talking about our priorities as a church, we are a church of all generations committed to reaching the next generation. And so I think it's important as we celebrate back to school and we lose our microphone and we, we do all sorts of fun things, but as we go to what this church is all about, there is a place for everyone. Married, single, family, single, student, kids. The miracle and the mystery of God's family of faith is that there's a place for everyone, and so we celebrate that, but it's also a time for us to remember what it is that we're really and truly all about, because, you know, a lot of us have been scattered throughout the summer, hither and yon, and, and traveling, and maybe just kind of doing staycations, hanging out at home, but it's kind of like when we go back to school, it's like, oh yeah, we, we get, get back into the routine and being a part of the local church, you know, uh, I remember our kids, you know, it's funny when you were praying for all the families, Lord, give them wisdom as they parent in 2017. Julie and I are empty nesters. Joseph has got another uh, couple of years of college. Emily is already out of school, getting ready to start grad school, but she's on her own, has her own apartment. I don't even know where she lives anymore, but I'm teased. That's a joke for those of you who are new. But I remember when our kids were very, very, very young, and, and Joseph in particular, you know, when Emily came home, we never had to ask her how her day went. She just immediately started sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing. So much has changed. Yeah, yeah, and sharing. And it was great and continues to be great. Joseph, on the other hand, was not quite as forthcoming. And so when Joe would get home, Julie or I would try to kind of call him out a little bit and try to, try to pry out of him what actually happened at school that day. And Joseph, we, it kind of got to be a joke in our household. We would say, Joe, how was your day today? And every day for Joe was a good day. He would say, great. And, and that would be it. That, that, was, that was like an essay and a journal entry all in one for Joe. And so finally, we started kind of prying a little bit more. And I say, Joe, how was your day? And he'd go, great. And so then I'd say, Joe, what was so great about it? And that stumped him. I mean, <laughs> and I remember he was, a, he was in kindergarten, maybe first grade. I go, Joe, what was so great about it? He go, nothing bad happened. <laughs> and I thought, you know, for Joe, that's a great day. Just as long as nothing bad happened, everything else was great. Now, not everybody feels that way. But I thought it's really an incredible example of what it is that God wishes for all of us. I think when we connect with God on a regular basis, not only on the weekends and Sundays when we gather together as a church family, but when we connect with God in prayer, when we, when we really and truly are relating to him one-on-one, -on -one, I think God wants to hear us tell him, how's your day? What, what, what happened? What, what can I work on for you? And I think about this because of what Jesus said when he said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full, that tells me that God has a desire 
for all of us to have a great day. That's actually his plan, his design, and his desire is that we would all live that full life that we were created to live, a life in relationship with him. So when we enter into this school year, our message today is not just for students, but it is specifically for students and their parents and anyone, because God's design and desire is for every single person to have a great day, a great life, a great school year. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And as we look at what does it take to make a great day, if we know that God's design, we know from John 10, 10, that Jesus says, I have come that they might live a full life, an overflowing life, then how do we get there? That's the question that we want to answer today. How do we have a great life? How do we have a great day? Turn to your neighbor and say, have a great day. Hey, have a great day. Have a great day. <laughs> So we're going to go just like we always do to God's Word, to figure it out. God's Word tells us often how to get where we want to go. Can I interrupt you just a second? Well, sure. Thanks. I mean, this would be awkward. What if I said no? <laughs> I think it's really important that we understand when we say God wants us to have a great day, that doesn't mean that every day is easy. That doesn't mean that we don't have problems or that God won't allow us to have problems to accomplish his purposes through us. But it is that the entirety of our lives are great day by day. I just Absolutely. It doesn't mean we will never have problems. It will mean that we will be able to face those problems for sure. In LHC Kids, we talk a lot about why we read Bible stories. And we say every week that what we're learning, the stories that we're talking about are from the, come on boys, I see y'all down there. What, what book? What book? What book do we read from every week? The Bible. Very good. We read from the Bible. Yeah, come on, guys. Uh, we read from the Bible <laughs> every single week. And so we know that no matter what story we're learning, God wants us to stop and say, what can we learn from this story that can help us in our lives? That's what we do. So we're going to go to God's Word and see how He wants us to live that full life, that joyful life. Psalm 112 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. How joyful are those who, number one, fear the Lord, and number two, delight in obeying his commands. And when the scriptures say fear the Lord, it doesn't mean be afraid of God, but it does mean respect God and submit your life to his laws and your will to his ways. That is what God is saying there. That if you want that joyful life, there are two things. Number one, you got to know his word. Number two, you got to obey his word. So if the goal is the joyful life, the great day, the great life, then the way to get there is knowledge and self-control. It's knowing it and obeying his word. And as a mom, that is overwhelming sometimes. I want my kids to have a great day. I want my kids to have a great life. But I am not a big reader. And so when I look at the Bible and I think, okay, my job is to teach them the Bible, that's like a lot of words. And they are on super thin pages. And so that is a lot. That is overwhelming to me. And as most parents that I know feel overwhelmed and under-equipped. But again, God's design, his design is for families to partner yeah. with the local church. And so that's what we do in LHC Kids. 
every single Sunday. We partner with parents to teach them God's Word, to equip kids to obey God's Word. Every Sunday in LHC Kids at 9.30 and 11, we are very intentional about partnering with parents to raise up a generation of leaders and not followers, to help them know and obey God's Word, to teach them, to give them the knowledge and to help them dig deep to find the self-control. We do the same with students on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, we have a service geared just for 6th through 12th grade where we work hard to meet them where they are and to give them the knowledge and the self-control to help them be who God created them to be. His desire is for that full life. No matter where you are, we also have Bible studies, Fearless Mom, because God's desire is for all of us to know and obey His Scripture. But if you feel overwhelmed, then you partner with the church. That's what we want to do for you. And that's part of, the, again, the miracle and the mystery of why God calls us together as the church. And it's, I think it's really important, too, for us to understand that our kids need to connect with people their age. It's imperative that they're developing the muscle memory of what it feels like to be the church. To not just go to church. And I know sometimes kids will say, well, we like going to the worship service or whatever. That's cool. That's, that's a great compliment or whatever. But they're not connecting with kids their own age in, in ministries suited and tailored just for them. And it's those relationships as they age out as they grow up, it's those relationships that they're going to have with other people their age that are going to make the difference between the right choices and the wrong choices when they start to leave our household, when they start to leave the reach of the long arm of the law of mom and dad and that sort of thing. But that starts very, very young. And so if as parents we help cultivate that in them when they're young, then it's just a part of who they are. It's a part of what they do. It's a part of what we do as a family week in and week out. And I will tell you, Julie and I can tell you by experience, there will come a day when your kids will kind of push back on the church thing. And that's awesome. What will they not push back on? I mean, what in the world will they not push back on? As parents, it's our job to do our job. And so we go, hey, you know what? I get it. But this is what we do as a family. See you there Wednesday night if you're in middle school or high school. See you there Sunday morning in LAC Kids. Wherever you are, that's there for you to develop those life skills that then will carry them long beyond mom and dad. Now, going back to the verse that Julie just read in Psalm 112, it's fascinating how God finished, follows up verse 1 where he talks about how joyful are those who obey the commands of the Lord. Look at what he follows up in verse 2 with. He says, their children will be successful everywhere. And an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. I've never met a parent. I've never heard of a parent worth their salt who didn't pray, who didn't want this for their kids, for their kids to experience and to live out God's definition of success. But then it says an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. So if we do our job as parents, our kids become contributing members of society and begin to bless that society that they are then a part of apart from 
us. Absolutely. Um, we recently took a group of third, fourth, and fifth graders to camp, to Jolt Camp. And we had some, oh, I hear some woohoos out there. We had some incredible student leaders. Our student volunteers, our yeah. teenagers, I'm serious, they are remarkable. One in particular, Jackson Alye, I do have permission to tell you the story using his name. <laughs> but Jackson, one night, was super sick. He did not feel good at all. You could tell. He was trying to lead worship, <laughs> bless him. And he was just sweating, you know. And I said, Jackson, what is wrong? Why are you so sick? And he said, um, I drank a lot of chocolate milk, but I, um, I'm allergic to it. <laughs> I said, Jackson, why would you drink it if you know it makes you sick? Because I couldn't help it. <laughs> now, this kid is 16. He's a high school wrestler. He's very disciplined physically. He's a great kid. He's disciplined in his other areas of his life. He's a great student. He's great. But when it came to chocolate milk, he just couldn't help it. Well, I quit feeling sorry for him at that point. Uh, somebody said, Jackson needs to go rest. I said, no, Jackson doesn't need to drink chocolate milk. And he knows it. And so therefore, he is suffering the consequences of not having self-control. Again, Jackson has self-control in many areas of his life, but not when it comes to chocolate milk. <laughs> and so it reminded me, you know what? So often we know the results of choices that we are making. We know how to have a great day and we choose not to do that. Jackson knew, hey, I'll probably feel really sick later, but I really want this chocolate milk right now. And so <clears throat> we learned at camp, and this is what we want to arm everybody with, we learned how to have a great day. You know what? What's a great way to have a great day? Turn to your neighbor and say, what's a great way to have a great day? It's a great way to have a great day. It's super easy. What's a great way to have a great day? We already know that joy is our goal and that the path to joy is obedience, but I must choose to obey. And choosing to obey requires self-control. Everybody say self-control. Self-control. I hate that, but it is all over Scripture, and we just <laughs> cannot deny it. Many people are born with it. God bless you. Um, most of us have to learn it, but here is all self-control is. Ready? We learned it at camp. Stop. Everybody do stop. Stop. Think and choose. Stop, think, and choose. What's a great way to have a great day? Stop, think, and choose. Choose well. It's all over Scripture. The great way to have a great day is just to stop, think, and choose. Choose wisely. There are so many Scriptures in the Proverbs that tell you how to choose wisely. Actually, it's not just scriptural. Sociologists and psychologists have been doing studies for years about the connection between self-control and future success and happiness. I'm talking about outside church. There are sociological and psychological studies that examine children. It started, I believe, the first one I'm aware of was in the 60s and 70s with Dr. Michelle from Stanford. He's now at Columbia. But he did, you may have seen it before, the marshmallow test where he took preschoolers and he sat them down and he said, I'll give you this one marshmallow right now, but if you wait and you don't eat it, when I come back, I'll give you a second one. 
And so he watched the kids sit, and some kids could sit and wait. Other kids, not so much. I watched one who literally ate the marshmallow before he left the room. <laughs> That's my boy. Yeah, so there was a direct... Con- so what he did was they followed these kids for the next 20 or 30 years. There are more recent studies in New Zealand and in London where they have followed twins... And they have followed um, all different, like a thousand kids all the way through. Every study showed, every study showed that there was a direct correlation between self-control and future success, financial success, relational success, physical health, financial health, all of it. There was a relationship between self-control and success, self-control and happiness, self-control and joy. And that's what we need to dig deep to find. But there's one little problem. One little problem. All of these studies that started in the 60s and 70s on self-control got pushed to the back burner. You know what made, their, made its way to the foreground? And parents and teachers and administrators and college campuses adopted like crazy. Rather than self-control, we have raised two generations of kids on the lie of self-esteem. You see, self-esteem is that thing that we think we're going to give our kids. We want them to feel good about themselves. And that's true to a point. But there's a problem with that approach. And I just, I am so excited about today because I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them like you mean it with passion and enthusiasm, today changes stuff. Today changes stuff. Today changes stuff. Because today, as parents in this room, we, and, and even as students, we are going to no longer strive for self-esteem. Self-esteem is a mirage. It is a mirage in a desert wasteland. What we should be striving for is self-control. This is from Psychology Today in 2011. The self-esteem movement has done an entire generation a deep disservice. It started in the best intentions in 1969. Nathaniel Brandon wrote a paper entitled The Psychology of Self-Esteem that suggested that, quote, feelings of self-esteem were the key to success in life. Close quote. Let me just tell you, as a pastor, somebody who's been to seminary, that is a lie from the pit of darkness. That is not the key to success in life. Now, the parents who embraced these efforts did so out of love and with the most noble of intentions. The only problem is that these efforts simply do not work. Self-esteem is not something conferred. We can't give self-esteem. It is earned through taking risks and developing skills. When children stretch themselves, they expand their sense of their own capability and then feel confident to tackle the next challenge. Confidence comes from competence. We do not bestow it as a gift. Today changes stuff. Absolutely. Competence is what we want for our kids to have. We want them to have confidence. It comes from competence. Okay, kids, students, here's the deal. Your homework is your responsibility. 
today, what? as of today. Whoa, whoa. Your homework is your responsibility. I got something else. Guess what? Your lunch is your responsibility. Your lunch is your responsibility. Listen carefully. You won't go without. You won't go without. And if you do, you'll figure it out. And so that's and how you'll you also learn remember confidence. it tomorrow. You'll remember. That's right. If we don't like allow natural consequences, they will never figure it out. And so, as of today, <laughs> your homework, your lunch, it's, I'm all about it. It's your responsibility. Hey, parents, you know, checking those grades online, no need. You get a report card four times a year. That's about all you need to know. And so you talk to the teacher, have a relationship with the teacher. But you know what? Our kids' school, and if my middle schooler has a problem with a teacher, my middle schooler talks to the teacher. Okay? If my middle schooler has a problem, fifth grade, they can talk to the teacher. That you want them to learn this while they live in your home. And so we are building confident, competent, independent kids. Wait, I got one. I got another one. This is so important. I'm going to save parents so much time. 9.30, the night before a project is due, do not go buy a poster board. Don't do it. Don't, you are doing your kids a gross disservice. I'm going to fail. Oh, sorry. I passed fourth grade. That's, I mean, that's the deal. I'm just telling, and I know it's hard. I, listen, we're kind of tongue-in-cheek joking about this, but what's our job? Our job is not for them to feel good about themselves. Our job is to equip them and prepare them to live life out of our homes. So when your kids, okay, kids, when y'all get out of your car every day and your mom or your dad or you're getting on the bus or you're riding your bike to school and your mom or your dad says, you know what, what's a great way to have a great day? Your response is, I'm going to stop, think, and choose. You know what, you may want to ask your mom, hey mom, what's a great way to have a great day? <laughs> because guess what it requires a mom to allow her child to forget her, his lunch, to allow her child to, you know, suffer the natural consequences, I have to have self-control. Yeah. And so perhaps my child should, should sometimes ask me, hey, what's a great way to have a great day? And I'll say back, stop, think, and choose. I will choose wisely. That self-control is not just for kids. It's for everyone. And the good news is whenever God commands something, whenever God gives a directive in his scripture, that means that he will fill in the gaps and provide that for us. If you look at Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self and what? Self-control. Yeah, wouldn't it just be more fun if we could just focus on the love and the peace and the joy? I just want to talk about how the Holy Spirit provides love, peace, and joy. But guess what? If the Holy Spirit provides self-control and it is listed here in Galatians, then that means I'm supposed to live a life exhibiting self-control. I must know God's word and choose to obey God's word. I must use self-control. What's a great way to have a great day? Stop, think, 
Choose. Hey, that's for parents too. And look, um, when we talk about making good decisions, the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom, all about making good decisions. And Proverbs gives a warning here. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. That person is vulnerable. That person is not protected. And we want our children to grow up and to be happy and confident and competent. And that comes from giving them the opportunity to develop self-control, which means we must have self-control ourselves. There's no doubt about it. You know, it's, it's amazing to me how regularly, when you look for it, how regularly the gospel of Jesus Christ, wherever it infiltrates, wherever it seeps into a crack or a crevice of our lives, that part gets healthier. Again, not always easier, but it gets healthier, it gets stronger, it gets more attractive from a spiritual and a relational sense because there's something about Jesus that makes everything closer to what God intended it to be when he created us. This is the, the brilliance of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, the good news it is beautifully summed up in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, more specifically, for God so loved you that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him, if you would choose to follow Jesus, you would never die and you would have eternal life. And that word life is not just like, you know, carbon-based carbon <laughs> breathing in and out of oxygen, but it's really and truly living the life that is truly life. This is what the gospel does. And when you start to understand that, then you kind of start to go, okay, so it's not convenient. It's not easy to put it into practice, but it's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. And just after the scripture lists those fruits of the spirit capped with self-control, look at what it says here in verse 24. Galatians 5:24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who are following Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That, that means that the, those things that cause me to kind of dump self-control, to, to set that aside and just maybe go to the chocolate milk whenever I feel like it or, or cause me to do whatever I feel like doing whenever I feel like doing it, those things have been nailed to the cross with Jesus and those things are no more. And now his resurrected life is my resurrected life. And it's in that relationship with him that everything has purpose, that everything has power, that everything has relational connectedness versus isolation and estrangement and aloneness. This is the gospel. And so back to school blessing, yes, it is for all of us, but it's not designed to stay within us. We are blessed to be a blessing. Anytime God blesses you with something, he expects us to use it for his purposes. And so you might have come in today because it's back to school and you wanted to help stuff the bus. That's being a blessing in our community beyond the walls of the church. You might have just come here because somebody invited you or because you've been driving by for months or years. But no matter where you are today, I want to just make sure before we leave in just a few minutes that you have the opportunity to, to say, 
I have stepped into a relationship with Jesus. Not, not just that I know about God or I've heard some things about him or I grew up going to church, but that I have personally and definitively committed to follow him with everything that I've got. Not perfectly. Nobody in this room follows Jesus perfectly. But we follow him. And so if you've never done that, in just a moment as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. You just, you just get to pray a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of, of surrendering. As Julie said, you bring your life into submission to God's ways, but it's also a prayer of beginning, of beginning the life that is truly life. So I want to ask everybody, if you will, just for a moment, would you bow your heads with me as we pray together as a church family? And if you have prayed to receive Christ, then I want to ask you just to be praying for, for folks that are around you, maybe somebody that you invited to come today with you. But if you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, then the invitation of God is just that. It's an invitation. An invitation to follow Jesus. You begin that with a personal connection, a prayer that goes something like this in your own words, just right where you're sitting, just pray. Just, just say, Jesus, I will follow you from now on. I need you. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I, you know them already, but I confess them. And I claim your forgiveness. And Jesus, I accept your gift, your grace of eternal life. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. Hey, for just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And it's a moment that's too big to, to skate by. So just very briefly, if that was your prayer, as a church, we, we want to invite you to do two things. Number one, fill out that connect card that's in the program. It just says connect card, your name. And there's a place there to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. And before you leave, I want to ask you if you would just tear that off at the perforation there on the fold. And on your way out to your right from where you're sitting right now, there's, there's a little blue canopy like you see at a soccer field or at a game, you know, ball field somewhere. Just, just hand that card to somebody who's under there because you're, you're in the perfect place for this moment. You're surrounded by people who want to help. We don't have all the answers. We're not perfect but we want to help. We want to help take the next step. We want to be a family of faith with you. And that card is, is just a way to begin that process at a pace that works for you. But then second of all, I want to ask you to do something that, that's for you, but also for us in this family. As our heads are bowed, if that was your prayer and you meant it, would you just lift your hand quietly but, but unmistakably and hold it up high over your head for just a moment? And as you hold your hand up, 
you're, you're kind of stamping this moment in your life, marking it as, as real, and God did it, and you responded. But you're also marking it in the life of this church because there is nothing more important to us than this moment in your life. And so as a, as a church family, we celebrate that, we honor that, because it's a sacred thing. It's a divine moment. And the Bible tells us that all of heaven celebrates when one comes to faith. And so as the family of faith, we like to follow heaven's example. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.